0: Hi, Owen Pesnell here, the editor and producer of the Ironcast. Just a note that today's episode was originally recorded on November 20th, 2019, and was later re-edited and re-uploaded on January 8th, 2020.
1: Hello everyone. This is an exciting day because this is the first ever Iron podcast uh, that Ironworks Church is producing. And uh, you're listening to our very first show. You're probably our very first listener. And so here in this uh, illustrious um, room, wherever we're broadcasting from, is we have uh, Shana Land and we have Owen Pesnell and myself, uh, Rob Maddox.
0: I find one of the things that Um, I really wish we could do more is to dissect the sermons and really talk about how they apply. Like I I had a professor who used to say, that's fine and good, but what do I do on Monday morning? Yeah, when most people have forgotten what the sermon was about. Right. And so I just think that would be a really cool function of this podcast to see like how our sermons um, impacting you when you're in your walk with God.
1: Yeah. And I I love... To, to, to kind of dissect it because you're just processing it, but when you talk about it out loud, mm-hmm. uh, it does something deeper in us. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, we're going to introduce the sermon in a minute, but first, I wanted to introduce Shayna Lance because she'll, I am. Inter- yeah. <laughs> um, Shayna, if you don't know Shayna, Shayna is one of the, I think she's an old soul. She just <laughs> gets people. She, I can be in a room and a new person will be there and she will gravitate toward that new person and make them feel completely at home. So if you haven't met Shana, you're going to, you're going to feel at home when you meet her. <laughs> Shana is uh awesome mom, a- awesome wife and um, brilliant when it comes to understanding uh, the English, not just the English language, but literature (laughs) and how uh, the narratives uh, apply to our lives. So Shana has impacted me in a a tremendous way. That's a little snippet of who Shana is.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'll introduce Rob. So Rob is a really, really creative person. He sees things in ways that no one else does. Um, I feel like other people, are a line and he's a web you know other people are 2d and he's 3d (laughs) and so um so i I just feel like he sees things in like the fourth dimension um he has a lot of experience with leadership and has personally just guided me and mentored me in a lot of ways about what does leadership look like and servant leadership especially they also foster um one of rob's missions in his life um the way that he continually lives the gospel um in his own life and to other people is making hope tangible but he um he and his wife uh serve the lord daily by taking in um foster kids by adopting um there's so much i could say mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's one brief introduction so
1: wow that's way better than i would have <laughs> done for me so uh well hey on this note we introducing owen pesnell
0: I can remember meeting Owen, you were like a single digit age. I don't remember exactly how old you were. You were like seven or eight and we like struck up a little friendship and you said to me, you're like, why don't you be the next church intern when Nate Poley is done? And I just was like so personally complimented by that. So, um, (laughs) well, that's nice. I mean, Owen (laughs) tried
1: to, uh, give me church discipline and he (laughs) says nice things about you, so, (laughs) Yeah. So I would say Owen too is in seriousness. He mm-hmm. is, um, my star Wars friend. Uh, so we are Padawans of Jesus. Uh, but <laughs> he is uh, a learner. Mm-hmm. Um, he is deeply, deeply thoughtful. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, unconsciously, he just thinks deeply about a lot of things and, um, he quickly surmises and comes up with um, just conclusions so he's a, he's a quick thinker mm-hmm. as well and and just uh, marvel at your tech your technology mm-hmm. which is uh, you know light years beyond ours but um, but speaking of introduction Shana, you know mm-hmm. um, it's funny the way when you were introducing me i just felt like I kinda got it when when Hollywood actors talk about each other. It's just so over the top, it feels, <laughs> you know? And they always say nice things and no one ever says anything because they don't want to tank their careers. They don't want to burn any bridges. But mm-hmm. the way they talk about the people they work with mm-hmm. is just it's just over the top. And I, to me, yeah. it's honestly, I'm like, this is such BS. I know they don't even like that person. <laughs> <laughs> but um, But there's something about the way we introduce people in our culture and the way we talk about other people mm-hmm. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, culturally speaking, mm-hmm. you know, I'm wondering, you come from a unique part of culture mm-hmm. um, where, you know, kids have to present themselves the yes. first day of class and say their name and all that. But, but kind of riff for me on, on, uh, you know, introducing ourselves in culture.
0: Yeah. I think it's become a cultural norm to focus on your strengths. I think that it's become, um, so normal that it's no longer considered boasting. Um, it's just like, Oh, why shouldn't I focus on my strengths? I think that in the, in the secular world, it's just considered practical to do that. Um, I definitely, I definitely see that, um, you know, in, in my own work, in my own life, I'm certainly like, I, I tend that way, like in as far as and if I meet someone new, Pastor Sam mentioned this in his sermon yesterday, how we do feel this pressure to measure up in the eyes of other people and to make it like worth their while to even talk to you. So I think, um, I think, yeah, that's a huge part. I think even so, uh, if we look at our culture, we value strength, we don't value weakness. And so when we introduce ourselves or other people, we we try to paint them as as remarkable as we can. Um, so yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That's interesting. And I I think about, um, when I was comfortable introducing myself probably wasn't until after college because I didn't feel like Mm -hmm. I had any strengths. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wasn't that, that, uh, that sports, you know, guy that was making goals or Mm -hmm. scoring points. I was, you know, I really had no skills. So until I got Mm -hmm. a skill, I didn't feel comfortable introducing myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to say. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Yeah, I remember I had a professor in college. Uh, He would play around with different ways of introducing himself hmm. because he was one of the first people who really pointed out to me this this idea that we introduce ourselves and we automatically, or if we meet someone new, we say, what do you do? Right? We size people up. You know, and he was like, he was my sociology professor, and he was saying how, um, you know, we as Christians, because uh, I went to a Christian college, and he was, we as Christians especially shouldn't be, you know, trending that way. We should, uh, we should find other ways of introducing ourselves, identifying ourselves. You know, certainly through Christ, but not through these like, you know, I'm again, I'm a valuable person because of what I've done or what I haven't done. And I remember one time we were in church he went to a church that I went to and he would meet people and he would say, I'm Chris Palladino. Do you like butterflies? And like the person, (laughs) the person would like immediately like just be jarred by that, you know? And it was just one of those things where he was being subversive, you know, uh, countercultural, rather than being like, who are you and what do you do? Why are you valuable? It's just like this really genuine, sincere question. So I can
1: remember the most powerful introduction of a name that stuck with me, mm. and like I think every stereotypical male is gonna resonate with this, So, um, <laughs> but it's in The Gladiator. Mm. And Maximus says to, uh, to the emperor at the time, um, he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, <laughs> commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, mm-hmm. father to a murdered son, Husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just left the theater thinking I mean, that guy knows who he is, right? You know, I wish right. I knew who I was, but right. that guy knows.
0: But ironically, even though that those are all his titles and why he was, and he was like using that introduction as a way of asserting like hey commodus like you are you are not the one who belongs in authority like the throne doesn't belong to you in reality everyone always laughed when they knew that he was just a farmer you know Mm. remember like parts they're like i can't imagine you being a farmer and you know all he wanted to do was just go home and be with his wife you know so even though he he had all these formal titles i feel like he was also a um
1: who he really was
0: yeah like how he looked at himself and like when marcus aurelius wanted him to rule he's like i don't want to rule and, mm-hmm. and Marcus Rose is like, well, that's why you, you should be the one to rule. Interesting. <laughs> you know?
1: so, yeah. Well, that segues well into the sermon.
0: The redefinition of Simon Peter.
1: Yes. The redefinition of Simon Peter. Um, and so I have some thoughts on it, but Shannon, give us like an overview, uh, like a one or two minute overview of what the sermon is about.
0: Yeah. So as like a motivational set, uh, Sam he started talking about how um you know we in our again in our culture we have this uh we're attracted to success and so he used this as a way of really reintroducing the character of simon peter right we all we all have our stereotype of simon peter like the disciples seem like just a bunch of rough and tumble guys that were Maybe like on the margins of society, like these fishermen. But he said that's actually not the case, and he showed us all these pictures of Capernaum and how the synagogue was just like a few feet from uh, Peter's house. And he basically painted us this accurate picture that he was um, he was he was a pretty important person. He was a leading man. He was well to do, successful. He was acquainted uh, with success. Um, He had that prime real estate, not only near the synagogue, but also near the coast. Um, He was also, he kind of cornered the market because there were certain kinds of fish that um, were popular at the time. And there was one particular fish that was really popular that the Romans really liked. And Peter was involved in that market. So he was well-to-do and, again, well-acquainted with success. And so he also got into um, how the Gospel of Mark really is... um, basically it comes from Peter. Like Mark is the author, but various historical sources uh, um, historical sources have described it as, Mark is Peter's interpreter. Um, Mark is Peter's memoirs. Um, Mark came from Peter. And so he kind of says how, if we're looking at the book of Mark, we're really looking at the story of Peter. And ironically, um, you would think that if, if something is your story, typically you would be presented in kind of the best light, right? Right. And you would be, you know, the hero of all that. Um, But we see time and time again in the gospel of Mark where Peter is just like, his failures are really highlighted. And um, there's so much I could say, but uh, I feel like Sam really zeroed in on verse 33. This was... After Peter had said to Christ, you know, Christ says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus challenges them, don't tell anyone, right? But then just a few verses later, right, Jesus is saying how eventually he'll be killed. And Peter pulls him to the side and he rebukes him. And in verse 33, right, um, Christ rebukes Peter and he says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, But on the things of man, right? And so, and then Sam um humorously but very like accurately made the comment: this is Satanism, right? No, no pentagram required, he said, right? Well said. Right? It's this idea of um being obsessed with success, defining yourself by your success. Right. And he also said, you know, we look at that and we might have, we might be tempted to think, well, that doesn't seem very satanic. Right. I hear from Disney movies all the time, you know, believe in yourself. Right. But Sam is saying it's, it's this idea that, um, we want to define ourselves, um, by our success. And so Sam really challenged us to be thinking about, you know, how Peter has been freed from this, right. Mm -hmm. Throughout the whole book of Mark, we see Peter again, like really highlighting his failures, and so Sam says, how can someone be so free? Right. Yeah. And so, um, and then Sam also made the point, you know, just how we, how we can make that shift in our, in our minds, you know, and be focusing on Christ in that way. And he says, um, another point he made, he said, what makes a church strong is forgiven people, not mm-hmm. successful people.
1: Yeah. Let's highlight that for a second. Yeah. So Ironworks Church will be a good church if we are identifying ourselves as forgiven. Yes. People.
0: Yes. And uh, I talk about identifiers, right? Yeah. Rather than being successful, being forgiven.
1: Yeah. So pastors all the time talk about how big is our church? Hey, that makes us successful. But uh, if we could talk about who we are as forgiven people, uh, that really resonated with me because I didn't yeah. think about it in that terms before.
0: Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, ultimately Sam, um, he, I would say like the final thoughts of this, um, you know, or the final, the final verses here that I think we could zero in on. It says, "For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul?" And so, yeah, ultimately, Sam said the self-defining man is on the side of Satan, mm. is what he said. So
1: mm. deep thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, what do we do with that here yeah. uh, on the podcast? As we are talking about people's lives, and as we are talking about what God is doing in our lives, it's kind of a need to uh, maybe for me. It's going to feel a little awkward to talk about myself on this show as we're uh, what God's doing in my life because now I'm super self conscious that I'm going to be boastful <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you know say something that's you know uh, way out of line. Um, well, that's normal, but uh, <laughs> normal <laughs> too far. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, so we're, we're segue into this, uh, and everyone who's listening, you know, what, how do you introduce yourself? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I guess when you're at a party or when you're meeting someone new, often mm-hmm. the question is, what do you do? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, what's your go-to Shana when someone mm-hmm. asks you, what do you, what do you do?
0: Yeah, I... I always mention that I'm a wife and a mom. Um, So right there, those are major Mm -hmm. identifiers for me. I mentioned that I'm a high school teacher and I feel like people have, like when you say that you're a high school teacher, people tend to like cringe or (laughs) they like say, they like want to recommend you for sainthood. Like, you know what I mean? Like they just like, they just have such strong reactions, you know? And I think because the teaching profession is so polarized in our country, which is a conversation for another day. Um, but I find something that I ever since that professor, like I mentioned, after, since he challenged us to not say, what do you do? Um, but I like to ask people where they're from. Okay. I just feel like that is, uh, cause you want to, when you ask people, sometimes your motivation is just knowing about them, you know, not necessarily sizing them up, you know, like we, as Christians want to love people and we want to go deep with people. And so I find sometimes like a non-threatening question Is um, asking them where are you from, and I'll often say things like, "Do you work?" If it's a woman who's like uh, about my age, I'll say things like, "Do you work outside of the home?" And you know, implying like, if you don't work outside the home, you still work. Like, you are still you still contribute, and you're still important. You know. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, I've I've struggled with this my my whole life of how to introduce myself, and mm -hmm. um, I never really felt comfortable Mm -hmm. with it. So I just uh, I think it was maybe a year and a half ago I just decided I'm gonna throw this this phrase out there and see how it sticks. And um, <laughs> I even put it on a business card. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, someone asked me, you know, what do I do? I say, I'm a hope dealer. But there's like a story behind that in that uh, when I worked at Liberty Thrift and Home mm-hmm. Furnishings, I was a assistant manager and and manager mm-hmm. and regional managers. So I worked there for like six years mm-hmm. and I, we were, um, part of a ministry that mm-hmm. reached out to guys and gals coming out of incarceration. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were struggling with addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were, yeah, they, they all knew a dope dealer. Mm-hmm. and uh, But their lives were being marked by Christ changing them, mm-hmm. giving them new desires, new hopes, and new goals for life. Mm-hmm. So as I walked with them in friendship, I just began to see hope emerge. And I thought, mm-hmm. this, is, this is amazing, hope. Uh, we we need a hope deal a hope dealer instead of a dope dealer you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then uh, I just began to just internalize this idea of of hope is um, as, as living it out and wanting to make it tangible and and really I think God is kind of the one who introduced me to hope He introduces hope to us mm-hmm. um, in many ways in Scripture but uh, one that caught my attention like twenty years ago uh, was in Romans five and it says that. Uh, in verse three, uh, we rejoice in our uh, afflictions and our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, but I just got stuck on that. Why is hope at the end? Mm -hmm. Why is it not like kind of a given to us that we need hope, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're in despair. We need hope. Why isn't it just given to us? Why is it something that has to be like manufactured or cultivated or created? And, mm-hmm. and how is how does this process really happen? How does mm-hmm. how does suffering and perseverance produce something amazing mm-hmm. like hope? Uh, so I I just couldn't get over that question for years.
0: Mm-hmm. You've written a lot about it, too. I think you wrote a memoir, Hope to Die. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hope to Die, yes. My one-year memoir of, of yeah. what it would be like to live life as if it was your last year. Mm-hmm. Um, ride that bull named Fu Manchu, you know, 2.7 <laughs> seconds, <laughs> country song. <laughs> uh, but not like that at all, actually. Uh, but, yeah, so I wrote a you know, memoir on that, mm-hmm. Hope to Die. Um, and, yeah, just did my master's thesis on, mm-hmm. on hope in mm-hmm. leadership. Mm-hmm. And how hope is kind of the secret weapon of, of uh, leaders, as Napoleon said, that we are um, leaders are dealers in hope. So back to being a hope dealer, you know, I, I think um, uh, this idea has gone from helping people coming out of addiction mm-hmm. um, to now thinking about how did their life get into a mess in the, in the first place? Mm -hmm. And is there like a turn? Is there like a point where you can intervene and, and kind of stop it from going chaotic Mm -hmm. and, um, kind of intervene and just say, Hey, I'm here as uh, someone who believes in you and loves you. Mm -hmm. Your life doesn't have to go down, um, into dark, into darkness, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so how do we infuse that light into their lives? And how do we, um, become hope dealers for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not their savior. So I, re- I I had to learn that the hard way. I'm not a savior. I had a yeah. messiah complex, but I'm not a messiah. I'm <laughs> not a savior. Jesus is the only savior. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah. the one that transforms people's lives. Right. But he uses Owen, he <laughs> uses Shana, he uses me somehow to bring light into dark places that can really change the course mm-hmm. of someone's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do we do that? How do we become hope dealers? Sheena, when you think about hope, how would you define it?
0: I think, I think the way that I see hope, I, I feel like if I, I I don't know, I feel like I can get to the end of my life and still answer this question differently or just with more layers. But I think about the times in my life where I have not felt hopeful and I'll feel like Um, I'll feel like I'm in a dark room and I can't find the light switch. I can't find a doorknob and I'm just in there and I can't get out. And it just feels like no motion, no movement. Um, and so I feel like hope is a, is a way, you know, I think it's, I think it's a a path and I think it's significant when, I mean, Jesus uses so many metaphors to describe himself. And he mentions that he's like, you know, I am the way, the truth and the life. You know, and and I can remember when I when I first came to Christ. Um, I was like a middle school, early high school student. I'd had I'd had a foundation um, when I was younger about God, and I and I believed in God, and I was introduced to the gospel. But so much happened between when I was a child and when I was an an adolescent, and I can remember just really being hopeless as a young adolescent, and feeling like I was looking around and even like the material world, everything degrades, everything erodes, everything breaks down, you know? And I was in a season in my life where I was seeing a lot of my relationships break down. My parents were going through a divorce and, you know, there was a, you know, a certain amount of chaos in my life. Um, But I got to thinking I'd had like something of an existential crisis where I was like, everything wears out, nothing lasts forever, you know? And I felt so hopeless because of that. But I really feel like God allowed me to experience that hopelessness because it made me search. I went to a Christian camp each summer that is truly, that was like the main instrument that God used me, used to draw me to himself. And I had a guidance counselor there, like a a camp counselor. And I just was very open with her. And I was like, I really doubt that the Bible's real. I doubt that God is real. There's a lot of evil in the world. Um, Why would God allow certain things to happen? Why does everything break down? You know, it's I basically was... I was like, either God is real and the resurrection is real and hope is real, um, or it's not. And if it's not, then this is all a trick. And really, why doesn't everyone, it sounds really dark, but like, why doesn't everyone kill themselves? So you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you experience so much pain in your life that it's really not worth it. <laughs> you know, if there isn't some kind of, you know, if there isn't something at the end that makes it worthwhile or some kind of hope factor. And she challenged me. She said, I think what you need to do is you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible every single day and pray that God reveals himself to you. And, um, as a, and kind of in a skeptical way, I took on, you know, kind of like Lee Strobel esque, you know, I took on this challenge and I can't really articulate exactly when or how, but God just was real to me. God totally like, just opened the door for me. And so I went from being in a really dark place and feeling like there really is no hope in this world because it's just, it's eventually all gonna go in the trash can, to going to where, wow, no, God is real and he does offer us a path, he does offer us a way. So I would say, to sum it up, I would say hope is a path, hope is a way, and um, it's the idea that, you know, it's this is not the end, so...
1: Yeah. How about you? It reminds me of that you know, book when things fall apart, you know, yeah. or they cry the beloved just in South Africa when everything just goes wrong and, mm-hmm. and this 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 utter despair. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, going back to Peter, I think he had one of those moments, mm-hmm. you know, when Jesus dies, uh, and he's kind of it's it's this story of before he really sees Christ coming back and, and things becoming new, mm-hmm. he goes back to fishing. So he meets Jesus as a fisherman and Jesus calls him to be a fisher of men. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they do this amazing couple years together and then things all fall apart and all goes wrong. And Jesus is the one he thought was the hope of Mm -hmm. the world is now dead. Mm -hmm. And so he goes back to fishing because that's all he knows, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite books is, uh, it's this kid's book and it's called Breakfast with Jesus. <laughs> and uh, it's the story of Peter and um, being on the fishing boat there at the end mm-hmm. and Jesus is on shore and he's cooking, he's frying up some fish mm-hmm. and he, he yells over to Peter and, and, and they have this miraculous catch and Peter just can't wait to get to shore and, he, and they just have this conversation that kind of restores Peter's hope mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that he, Peter, is loved mm-hmm. and that Jesus has a mission for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad news is going to involve death, but the good news is that Jesus is alive and he conquers death. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's powerful, um, Mm -hmm. that, that Jesus can go to those dark and broken places and, and come out of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you. I'm with you on all that. Mm -hmm. And I would say for everyone out there who's listening to wrap this up with you, as you define hope in your life, if you consider yourself a hope dealer how do you bring hope to people's lives? Mm-hmm. A definition that that stuck with me is, um, two things important to think about is, one guy said that Kierkegaard, famous philosopher, said that, that hope is passion for the possible. Mm-hmm. And I think Kierkegaard was wrong. Uh, hope is passion for the meaningful. Mm-hmm. And that is, when you're in the deepest darkness, mm-hmm. there's got to be more to the suffering. There's got to be an explanation. There's got to be meaning. Mm -hmm. And Christ brings that meaning. But the other thing is we hold so tightly onto things, like our success we've been Mm -hmm. talking about, and achievements and who we are and our identity and and these things that we want to hold on to. But we hold God to things and we get mad at him when he doesn't do what we expect him to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what we have to do when we hope is to let God be free to work a surprise. Mm Mm-hmm. And That was Walter Brueggemann who said that. Is that let God be free to work a surprise. Mm-hmm. So when we look at people's lives, we have to look at them with the with the expectation that God is at work in their lives. Mm-hmm. So as you're a hope dealer out there, think about that. God, show me where you're at work in people's lives, even in the darkness, even in the broken and where everything falls apart. Show me where you're at work, uh, because that's where I've been asking God is you know mm-hmm. show me God where you're at work in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, show me hope. Mm -hmm. So let us close with a, can we close with a prayer?
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for introducing yourself to us through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That Jesus Christ is God with a face. That he introduces us to the Father Mm -hmm that everything that we see in Christ is who you are, Father. I pray that that would warm our hearts and that would draw us to you. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for revealing the Father to us. In your name we ask. Amen.